Abundance of love, abundance of grace. Now to that cross, you took my place. Oh God, you paid my ransom. My ransom. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people. Now, here's Pastor Scott. I want to get into the Word now. I hope you're ready for the Word. This, the reason why we teach from the Bible is because the Scripture commands us to be taught from the Bible, to gather together and to pay attention to the reading of the Word, the teaching of the Word, and the bringing forth of sound doctrine. So I pray that today that you would be believing God for something to speak to you. Say, speak to me. It's not just a time to come so you can say, we're, we're Christians. We go to church on Sunday. Everybody that comes to church on Sunday is not a Christian. Um, but some of us are Christians, and some of you are trying to become Christians, and, and you're seeking God, and you haven't yet accepted Christ. That's okay. Accept him soon. But I want you to believe when you come to church, and it's time to receive the word that God is alive, that he's able to speak to you uh, even through a man with a broken neck. Amen? Pray for me that God would give me strength uh, to say what he would have me to say. I'm going to be speaking to you out of the Old Testament book of Joel. And it's just a fascinating book. It's, it's a phenomenal book. Uh, it, it might, we might have to revisit this as our book of the year, uh, book of the month at some point this year because I just love what God has to say uh, through this Old Testament book. And Joel chapter 2, verse 15. Let, let's, let's just do this. We used to do this all the time. I'm, I'm pretty anti-tradition. That's why I don't wear suits and ties. I thank God for, for Deacon Dixon. You know, he, he, got, he got on the grown man suit look, looking sharp in church. Um, I, don't, I don't mind. I mean, if you want to wear suits and dress, hey, I already told y'all. I told y'all last week, I would love if we had some church mothers sit on the front row, wear a white dress, put a big hat on. As long as you smack children that chew gum and, and stick gum under the church, as long as you smack children that run around and don't pay attention to the preaching, as long as you elbow folk that fall asleep, you can sit on the front row, wear a big hat and a white dress. Nothing wrong with church mothers as long as they do their job. You say, well, Pastor, I don't want to sit on the front row. I don't want to wear a white dress or a white hat, but I am willing to, to, to help keep order. Amen? I, or I baptize you, a church mother, in the house of the Lord. If you're a woman. And you don't get to choose if you're a woman. You were either born one or you was not. Don't let 2017... Culture does not change God. I've had people tell me, well, Pastor Scott, you're just old school because you're old and you're stuck in the, in the past, and times have changed. Sadly, times have changed, but God hasn't. He never changes. I thank him that he loves us in our stupidity, though. Amen? He loves us as a father loves a child and, and knows that uh, he knows whether or not you love him. All of us are imperfect, but there are people in this room that love God and are trying to do better. Amen? I hope you're in that crowd. Listen to what the Word of God has to say in Joel chapter 2, verse 15. The command says, Blow the trumpet in Jerusalem, announce a time of fasting. 
Call all the people together for a solemn meeting. Bring everyone, the elders, the children, and even the babies. Call the bridegroom from his quarters and the bride from her private room. I want to speak to you this morning from a sermon titled, Get Ready for the Fast. Look at somebody and say, get ready. Pray with me. God, thank you for allowing us to be in your presence today. God, you said that when we gather in your name that you're here with us. So we welcome you in this place and we thank you for your Holy Spirit. God, I pray now, Lord, that you would anoint me, God, to say what you'd have me to say. Lord, I pray that you would anoint us to hear what you would have us to hear today. Teach us, God, is my prayer from your word in Jesus' name. Amen. It's that time of year again when we are going into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. I, as a pastor of this church, founder of this church, I've been studying church growth for a lot of years, and I've been to lots of church conferences. I've read lots of books and information uh, about uh, what churches are doing that are growing and what people want to hear when they come to church. And I can tell you this, fasting is not in the top 100. People don't want to hear about fasting. People don't want to do fasting. People, churches that are growing aren't, aren't doing a lot of preaching about fasting. Why? Because fasting is about denying ourselves. Fasting is about sacrifice. Fasting is about not doing something that we want to do. And that's just not popular in America. The churches that are growing the most are led by big smiling preachers that are telling everybody, smile because God loves you and everything's going to be all right. And we should smile because God loves us, but we should know that judgment is coming as well. And that's something to weep about. We should smile because we know that God loves us, but we should understand that we have friends and neighbors and relatives, people that we care about who are not truly born again, and that's not something to smile about. There's a time to smile. There's a time to be serious. The Bible says there's a time to rejoice, and there's a time to weep. I told you fasting doesn't make the top 100 list on church growth topics, but fasting is important to God, and I'd rather please God than concentrate on church growth. See, preaching the truth is my job. Inviting somebody to come, that's your job. So you say, well, Pastor, I invite people to come, but then you run them off. Ah, I only run off the wolves. The Bible says that I got to feed the sheep and chase off the wolves. So be careful, you know, bring, bring good people, amen? Or bring bad people who want to become good people. Uh, the, the, the fasting is an important subject to God, and it's my determination to please the Lord. This Wednesday night, we are going to start our time. Of, it's threefold. It's for prayer. That's talking to God. It's for consecration. That's setting things aside so that you can become clean and useful in God's hands. And it's for fasting, which is to deny yourself something that you personally enjoy for the purpose of giving more time to God. Let's look at our text in Joel uh, chapter 2. Let's back up to verse 12. And the Bible says, That is why the Lord says, Turn to me now while there is time. Give me your hearts. Come with fasting, weeping, 
and morning. So God says, turn to me now, comma. Always pause on the punctuation. You want to take the Bible in bite-sized pieces so you can understand it. Turn to me now. So when I study the Bible, I look for certain things. I look for commands so that I can obey them. I look for promises so that I can receive them. I look for things that I don't understand so I can further study that out. When I read this phrase, when I read these four words, turn to me now, I see two things in there. Number one, God is telling us to turn to him. Now, think about this with me. Let's, let's play Bible study. Let's pretend we're Wednesday night Bible study. Let's just be interactive for a minute. It, God says, turn to me. What does that signify to you that God is saying about which way the people are going? Not going the right way. Not going the right way. If God says, if you tell your child, boy, look at me when I'm talking to you. That signifies that you think he's not looking at you. Or you wouldn't have to tell him that. Now, he might be. I've told, I've told my children. Uh, I, I say, Jake, look at me when I'm talking to you, boy. And he's like, Dad, I am looking at you. I'm like, well, look at me straighter. Look at me, look at me better than that. See, sometimes I can be wrong about whether or not my child is looking at me because I'm an imperfect person, but God can't be wrong. And when God tells his people to turn to him, he's right because he's always right. So it signifies that even God's people, because he's talking to his people, even God's people are not all looking at him. They're not all looking in his direction and see, this is, this is the course of God's people. This, this is the cycle. <laughs> I'm going to preach all next week some Sunday sermon right now in about four seconds, four minutes, 42 seconds. Listen, I was going to preach this next Sunday, but I'll just go ahead and tell you the short part of it now. The cycle of life for God's people is the same today as it was from the garden. We start off like a clock, 12 o'clock, high noon. We start off, and we're right with God. We're in a position of totally right with God, being blessed by God. This is how Adam and Eve were in the garden. This is how we get when we become saved. We get right with God, totally right with God, clean, no sin, no shame, no stain. Feeling the presence of God, feeling the blessing of God, swearing we'll never go back to our false ways. But then guess what we do? We go back to turning away from God and going our own way. We go back to the past. We go back to things we used to serve and things that we used to settle for. And then we go back. And when we go back, we, we find another station in our life, and that's chastisement. And then God begins to chastise us, and God begins to punish us because he's a good father, and he wants his children to live right. And punishment is never for sake of satisfying the punisher. Punishment is for sake of changing the one who's being chastised. God brings chastisement in our life because we're walking in the wrong direction, and we're no longer blessable, and the Father wants to bless us. So he brings chastisement in our life, and then we repent. 
And then we get over here and, and, and we, we repent and we decide to stop doing what we're doing and we turn back to God and then we're right back on top again and we're close to God, no sin, no shame, no, no, no separation from the Father. Then we sin, then we move into chastisement, then we move into repentance, and then we move into being back right with God. And this is just the cycle of life for the Christian. But I want to tell you something, the, the, the sin part, there's no good in that. I've told you so many times, sin will take you further than you want to go, keep you longer than you want to stay, and cost you more than you want to pay. And then we get into that part of chastisement. I've had people tell me in my face, I don't care what the Bible says, and I don't care what God does to me as a result of it, I'm going to do this thing. This is people that don't believe that the Father can chastise you to a point where he will get your attention. Maybe that comes from having bad parents in the natural. Maybe that comes from having parents who said uh, that they, they're, they're going to correct you if you don't. Listen, please, I, I, I don't get involved in, in your, how you raise your child. That's your child. You do what you got to do except for what the Bible says. I will give you one piece of strong advice, though. If you count for your children, they're laughing at you. I had never counted for my child. I had never said, if you don't put that down, three. There, I, there's no time to get to two. I'm already grabbing and put it down. I make you put it down. Why? Because the father knows what's right. And being in that chastisement place, you might laugh at your parents. You might con them over. You, you, you might have figured them out. You, you might know how to turn on the tears. I will never do it again. And then they just back down. Listen, your fake tears don't back God down. God will chast. See, some people have had the mercy of God too long. Some people have trampled on the grace and the goodness of God too long. Some people have walked... Far, so far away, they think that chastisement won't come for them. But I want to tell you this. God is able to do what needs to be done to get you moving back in the right direction. So we get out of chastisement. We get into repentance. See, repentance is about turning. Say turning. This is what this is talking about. Turn to me. And this is, this is the other life uh, of the Christian. It's, it's that ping pong. Or that tennis. See, I can't do good ping pong watching or good tennis watching right now because that's just too much turning. See, you can turn with your head, but now i got to learn how to turn without my head, and I don't want to sit here and be doing this. Why? But here's the life of the average Christian. Walking toward God. Hallelujah. Walking, loving God, loving Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. God, I love you so much. Hmm. Wow. Okay. See, I thank God he keeps me on a short leash. Tell me, boy, you better turn back around because you're walking in the right, in the wrong direction. Yes, Father. I'm wrong, you're right. Hallelujah. Turn back to sin. See, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of direction. It's about turning. See, because as long as we're walking toward God, we're pleasing him. Because God said that we should pursue him. We should walk towards him. We should, we should look to his face. We should constantly be moving in God's direction. But when we forget or when we decide to go in a different direction, we're walking away from him, and then God gives us the information. 
You're walking in the wrong direction. You're heading towards a ditch. You're going to fall, and the fall would be great. Turn around and come back to my mercy. Repentance. Change of mind. I realize what I'm doing is not good for me. What I'm doing is going to bring chastisement. What I'm doing may be the ruin of me, my family, people I love, people I care about. So I need to turn around and do what? Turn to God. Okay, so God, not only does he say turn to me, what's that, what's that next word say? Now. Turn to me when? Now. It's always the right time to turn to God. And it's never the right time to wait to turn back to God. And see, here's the crazy thing. People plot their sin out. Well, I'm going to get right with God after uh, the, 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 the work party. Because, you know, John's going to bring his wife, and she's a little bit loose. So, uh, what? Does that sound Christian to you? Plotting your sin and when you're going to turn back to God. That's wrong. Say wrong. The time to turn to God is always when? Now. So here's the word of the Lord for me, and here's the word of the Lord for you. Not in some spooky, ooh, God said, in, in black and white. Right out of the book, easy to discern, nothing, nothing mystical about it. God says, turn to me now. And you can say, well, that was, that was for them then, but God never changes. And what he says to one, he says to the other, this is the word for us, turn to God when? Whew. And then he goes on, a <laughs> little addendum beyond the comma, uh, a, a, a little bit of something to think about. He said, turn to me now while there is time. See, all of us didn't have good fathers. If you didn't have a good father, hopefully at least you had a good mother. And if you had a good parent, because the Bible says that God is our father. Somebody turn, turn that heat off. It's, it's getting down in my throat. Um, God could have chosen to represent himself to us in any fashion. He could have said for us to recognize him as our boss. Because ain't he the boss? He could have said, he could have chosen to represent himself to us as our king, because ain't he our king? He could have chosen to represent himself to us as, as, as horrible as it would be um, in, in, in the mindset. But as accurate as it is in the Bible, he could have chosen to represent himself to us as a slave owner and us as his slaves, because don't the Bible says that we are slaves to our king? See, that's not proper. And, and thank God he chose a better way. Thank God he chose a way that we can understand in a positive connotation. He chose all those things as true, but the primary way God has chosen to reveal himself to us is as our father. See, a father, though, is not just loving. A father is also correcting. See, people play. People play mom against dad, dad against mom, because sometimes mom is the hammer. Anybody grow up in a house, mom the hammer? Some of y'all the hammer in here right now. You got your hand up. Some, but some families grew up where it was wait till your father gets home. And them daddy homes, daddy didn't have to say, 
But if dad said, boy, you better, you better do this now while you still got time, it's time to get moving. If mom was the hammer and mom said, girl, you better do this now while, you, while there's still time before I get up off this couch, it's just time to do it. Well, I'll do it after my show. Mm. If you even think like that, you had a bad parent. You had a parent that conditioned you to foolishness. You had a parent that conditioned you to, I'm really in charge. They're just faking it. God's not faking it. God said, turn to me now while there is still time. So I see in this a command. I see in this urgency, but I also see in this mercy. While there is time. And this is why I've been trying to tell people for years. Repent before it hits the fan. Repent before the covers are snatched back off you. Repent before. See, the Bible says you can humble yourself before the Lord and that will bring you honor. Or you can harden your neck before the Lord and that will bring you exposure. Honor is a good thing. See, if you don't humble yourself. God will humble you. When you humble yourself, you get honor. When God humbles you, you get humiliation. See, I thank God for his mercy. I thank God for giving time. See, as a Christian, I've done things that were not right. As a Christian, I've done things that I shouldn't have done. As a Christian, I've done things when I wasn't turning to God. But I thank God that in my error, there was time. To turn to him. I thank God. Anybody ever done anybody ever done stuff that, that you thank God he gave you space to repent before it all fell apart? Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. God, God, God gives time. But that time is limited. Do you understand the inference here when he says, Turn to me now while there is time? That that lets you know this time is not always gonna be here. This time is now. Right now, I'm, I, I'm a, I come home, and the kitchen's not clean, and I told them to clean the kitchen. If I'm feeling overly merciful, y'all stop what y'all doing right now. I, I, I know what they're doing. Seth, Seth's doing one thing. Jake's doing the other thing. And, and I call. I said, y'all both get down here and clean this kitchen. Right. If I'm feeling overly merciful, I let them know. You get this kitchen clean before we got to go to church tonight. So I set a time frame. Now, if we get ready to leave, go to church, and that kitchen still ain't clean, time's up. Time's up. See, in my family, my kids have a pretty good idea of what my time frame is, and they can usually tell by the look on my face. What my time frame is, but see, we don't know. When God's time frame is. We don't know how long we have. See, because the reality is all of us need to turn to him. All of us have room for repentance. All of us have areas in our life where we, we're not fully turned to him. And I want you to know the time is now. And I can't tell you how much time you have left before the hammer falls. And I don't want the hammer of God to fall on me. And I thank God in every mistake, 
in, in every area of rebellion, in, in every way I ever dishonored him. He gave me time to repent and to come back. And that time is now. And he says, give me your hearts. Okay, now, we're thinking, we're talking, we're studying. We're pretending it's Wednesday night and we're just having Bible study. When God says, give me your hearts, do you think that indicates that he has your heart or that he doesn't? He doesn't. Now, the relationship is there. The salvation is there. The Father, Son, the, the He's our God, we're His people. That's established. But He says, give me your hearts. If God was in this room right now, and He said, turn to me now while there's still time, guess what the next four words He would say if He was in this room right now would be? Give me your hearts. What area are you still holding on to? What part of your life, Christian, have you not yielded to God? What part of your life? See, you, oh, you, you, you got saved. You got baptized. Oh, that's awesome. Now you're on your way to heaven. You give a little money in the plate, but you don't give 10%, so, you know, you're holding back. You read the Bible every now and then, but you don't read it every day, so you're holding back. You pray sometimes, but you watch more TV than you pray, so you're holding back. And God says, give me your hearts. He didn't say, give me a piece of your heart. He didn't say, give me most of your heart. See, I told you all, society and, and the school we go to in the United States has messed up our view of what's acceptable. Because in every household, we have different rules. See, some of y'all are just great parents, and y'all stay up late and do projects with your children, which I, I don't. I tell them, I got my job, you got yours. School is your job. I'm on my job. The light bill's paid. You come to me when the lights get shut off. You got a cell phone? It works. That's my job. Okay? You, what about your job? Your job is school. And so, but we have different levels of acceptability. See, some of y'all, y'all just good pay. They bring home less than an A. You freak out. We, we had, they, they're not here anymore, we had a family who had a child in the ninth grade, never had anything less than an A. I'm like, hmm, that's rough, man. That, and, and not allowed to have anything other than, see, so that, that's the standard there. Some families are like, in mine, I, I'm, I'm good with A, B on a roll. You know, A's and B's, I'm good with that. Bring C's in, it's trouble. Bring D's in, it's bigger trouble. Bring F's in, I'm loading you up, taking you to I.M. Schulzbacher Homeless Center. Have we been to I.M. Schulzbacher Homeless Center? Hey, I get a visual on you. I let them know. Right on the other side of that blue door is a bunch of homeless people that don't want to do what their parents told them to do. Keep trying me, and next time we drive down here, I'm going to put you out. People have different standards of acceptability, and we learned it in school because we learned that A's are awesome, B's are okay, C's are high. And so we think that, okay, so an A, see, for y'all, y'all in weak school, y'all y'all 90 to 100 is an A. When I was in school, it was 94. 93 was a B. 87 was a C. We didn't mess around. You, you were 88 to 93, that was your B zone. 87 was a C. 69, cut. 
So in our minds, on your 90 to 100 scale, you think 91 is, 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 is very good. Us old folk, we, we remember 94, so we're like, well, 94 is really good. 94% obedience to God is 6% disobedience to God, and he ain't having it. God has a standard, and his standard is not what we think is passable. His standard is give me your hearts, all of it, every bit of it. And because we have withheld parts of our lives, because we have looked away from God and we are not pursuing God with everything that is in us, He gave us a formula. He gave us a format. He gave us a way to get back to him because he's saying, turn to me, and he's saying, give. He's, he's saying, come. So we got to turn. We got to give. We got to come. We, we got to do all these verbs. We, we can't just sit back and say, I love you, because as we found out last week, our theme for 2018 is love requires what? Love requires action. So you just can't say, okay, God, I'm sorry. I love you. See, that works on your girlfriend because she wants to believe that you love her. I, I was counseling a couple one time. The man had cheated on the woman. He told her that he hadn't, and she believed it. And I told him. I said, I, I honestly believed that he'd been unfaithful. And he just looked down. She's like, well, I choose to believe him. I could have had a video and she'd have believed him. He told her, he said, you know, the devil tried to make you believe all these things. Who are you going to believe? Uh, uh, you, who are you going to believe, me or your lying eyes? She could have watched him and she would have believed anything he said because she wanted to believe what he was saying. You can't, you can't fool God like that. You just can't throw God a, 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 a crocodile tears, some fake apology, and say, I love you. No, love requires what? Love requires turning. Love requires giving. Love requires come with fasting. Weeping and mourning. That's what we're going to be doing for 21 days. We're going to be turning back to God. We're going to be giving God our whole hearts. We're going to be coming to God because he's been gracious to give us still time. See, I know everybody won't be able to come all 21 days. I don't know that I'll be able to come all 21 days. It's not about that. It's about come when you can, pray for us when you can't. It's about try to make your best effort to be here sometime during these 21 days. Because you got to come. You got to come with a heart's desire that says, I'm coming to God. And I'm turning back to Him with my whole heart. Christianity is a wholehearted religion, it's not a half hearted religion. Every year we do this 21 days at the beginning of the year. This year we're going to start on Wednesday and go to the end of the month. We're going to start our fast Wednesday, 7 o'clock. We're going to end our fast after church Wednesday on the 31st. And every night through then, we're going to come. We're going to come with fasting. We're going to come with weeping, and we're going to come with mourning. We're going to come fasting for our need, weeping for our sin, and mourning for our situation. If you think that you don't have anything to weep over, you ought to weep over the condition of your family. If you think your family is perfect, you ought to weep over the condition of this church. If you think your church is perfect, you ought to weep over the condition of this city. We ought to come with fasting. We, 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 we ought to come. So you need to pick something to fast. We, you, you need to come 
you, you need to care enough about the sin in the world to cry over it. You need to come with mourning for what's going on in the earth. As we enter into this fast Wednesday night, we, we need to understand what our situation is and what our needs are. I'm going to give you a few today. We're going to get out of here. The, the, the passage in Joel, it talks about the possibility of God giving us a reprieve. I like that word reprieve. Uh, that, that word reprieve means to bring relief from a difficult time. Do you have that screen for me, Deacon? Should be the next screen. We don't have that screen. All right. A reprieve means to bring relief from a difficult time. How many people would like God to bring relief to something bad going on in somebody you care about's life? How, how many of y'all? It, it, it says to bring relief from a difficult time. Another meaning for the word reprieve, and I love this, to cancel punishment that is deserved. To cancel punishment that is deserved. We deserve to be punished. And, it, and this is why it makes no sense to me, and I understand people have had bad training, bad teaching, because they, they didn't sit under a pastor who, who had, 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 had heard from God before he spoke for God. They, they didn't have good doctrine. People come to me crying, saying, I don't know why God's being so hard on me. There are people that feel like God's not giving them what they deserve. There's only one way to see that reality. If God's not giving you what you deserve, what you mean by that is he hasn't crushed me with a rock, poured lava on me, and sent me straight to hell. All of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. Do we agree on that? It's what the Bible says. All of us have sinned and come short of God's glory. So sin must be punished. But this text says that God might possibly, not always, but might possibly give us a reprieve. What is reprieve? To cancel punishment that is deserved. See, a judge can give you a reprieve. The president can give you a reprieve. Man, I, they, they need to do away that presidential pardon stuff. Every one of these presidents, including President Obama, let the last day of the year, they just sign off on all these criminals that they just let out of prison. And even some that just got let out of prison from our last president have recommitted the same crimes and gone back in already. This, this is how crazy folk are. If you get a reprieve and you go back to doing what got you bent up, you're not thinking straight. But we all do it. We all do it. We live on the grace of God. We live on the mercy of God. We mess up. God forgives us, lets us come right back into his loving arms. And then so we go back out there, we better realize that, that we got to come to him now. There's, a, there's time left now. There's no guarantee of time left being left later. We got to give God everything we have, and, and we got to be so serious about it that we fast over it, that we weep over it, and that we mourn over it. This reprieve to cancel punishment that is deserved, I know that I deserve less than what I have. I know God's been better to me than I've been to him. I know that I am a sinner that needs the mercy of God, that needs the forgiveness of God. I know I've got a lot of areas in my life 
that I need to change and that I need to do better for the Lord. I got a lot of areas in my life where God could have brought forth punishment, but I thank God for every time he canceled punishment that was deserved because of his mercy. You want to understand our situation? Let me tell you a couple of things. Church attendance is on decline in America, and it has been for the last 20 years. We finally crossed over, I think it was 2014, sometime in the statistical gathering. America finally crossed over to now. This is the first time in the history of America where less than 50% of people go to church on a regular basis. First time in the history of our country. We now have less than 50%. That's about 47%, I think. 47% of people going to church. The decline. You say, well, what difference does it make how many people come to church? You say it ain't about numbers. God can save by few or by many. Well, the, the, why it's important is because the church of Jesus Christ is the only people that have the answers. The church is the only, the, of Jesus Christ is the only place people can go and find true salvation church attendance is on decline I learned something when I was 15 years old 14 years old I went and spent a, a, a month or so with my father Dean and I flew over to England and this man I didn't know slept in his house for about a month and saw stuff see because he he was never involved in my life and he we go over there to see him we fly over there as kids and he still is like, here's some money, y'all. Take the bus into London. Okay, we came all the way over here for that, but cool. So, but I saw stuff in 1976, 77. You remember what year was somewhere in there? Se- I think 70. No. What, 16, 63, 77, 78, somewhere in there. Maybe 78. But. Walking around in London, England in the 70s, I saw shaved hair on one side, flopped over green and purple hair on this side. Never saw that in America. I saw nose rings for the first time. Never saw that in America. I saw safety pins in cheeks with chains connected to the nose, looped over to the ear. Never saw that in America. I saw all black. On whiter than me. I never saw that in America. But it didn't take long for all that to come. And I realized then as a child, if you want to see what America looks like in 10 years, just look at what Europe looks like now. If you want to culturally see what's acceptable in America in 10 years, just look like what's happening in Europe right now because we follow those trends culturally. We follow those trends in music, in dress, in behavior. We have a missionary that we support every month who lives in Belgium. Only 2% of the people in that country go to church, Christian church. That's where America's heading. That's where America's heading. President Obama got in a lot of trouble with people he should not have. He told the truth. People got mad at him for telling the truth. And he said that America is no longer a Christian nation. And people got mad about that. 
America is a Christian nation. We were founded on Judeo-Christian ethics. The founders of our country, well, the founders of our country were Christian. They wrote that in every document they wrote. They prayed to God. They believed in Jesus. They kept quiet times. They read the Bible all the way up to Lincoln, who, 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 who said that the, their guide was the word of the Lord. And we wouldn't face a day without God and, and his scripture to guide them. So, yeah, there was a time in America where we were a Christian nation. But President Obama went on to say, now we're a, a, a nation of Christians and of Jews and of Muslims and of atheists. And that makes people mad, people swelling up in here right now. America is a Christian nation. Well, open your eyes and look, see what's going on. You think all that's going on by Christians? Mm -mm, look at the murder rate in Detroit and Chicago. Tell me. That's not all going on by Christians. So America needs help. Can you believe that? America needs a reprieve. There was a time when America was so Christian, we were sending out missionaries all around the world trying to reach people for Christ. And now the same countries we were sending missionaries out to 50 years ago are now sending missionaries to us trying to reach America for Christ. We need to turn to God now and ask God to give America a reprieve. Not, not just as a nation, but people. People are broke. You say, not me. I got plenty of money. Well, then you need to be giving. If you got money and you're not giving, then what you're saying is you don't believe you need God's blessing to keep money. See, America is, well, right now, there, there's been a slight Reprieve. Like him or don't like him, there's no denying that since the new president got elected, the stock market has just went through the roof. Setting the, the economy has soared. The, uh, the, the economy is just flying. Pre president, president Trump is a businessman. Uh, I don't agree with everything he says, especially when it comes to issues of morality and spirituality. But as a businessman, he, he got the money moving up. Can't deny that. Uh, one thing that I read this week, it just blew me back uh, because, and, and I know y'all hate when I, when, I, when I talk about uh, race issues. Listen, we, we have to be open in church. We, 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 we are a multicultural church by design. We, we got to realize there's racism in America. We, we got to point out the, the flaws, and we got to celebrate the gains. And, and one thing uh, that, you know, most people believe was that, uh, with our first black president, that blacks were going to go up in America. And that never happened. You may believe it did, but statistics say it didn't. Unemployment rate continued to grow. Problems continued to soar. They, they just released after the first year of, of Trump's presidency. Listen, listen to this. this. This blew me away. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it because, you know, everybody was saying uh, that this man is going to be horrible for and, and it's something that I'm, you know, concerned about because the majority of my friends are African-American. The majority of people that come to this church are African-American. You say, Pastor, you want an all-black church? No, I don't want an all-black church because then we wouldn't be multiracial. But I, 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 I have people that I love um, that, that should be celebrating this. Do you realize that the American government, and this is not a statistic. You can't trust statistics that Republicans throw at you. You can't trust statistics that Democrats throw at you because they all spin it. But this, this, is a, this is a government statistic that unemployment among African Americans fell to its lowest rate 
ever in the history of this country. Now, they can only say they only started tracking it since 1972. So for 45 years, right now, today, there are more African Americans employed in this country than ever had. The unemployment rate of African Americans last year was high. It has been coming down, and right now, the unemployment rate of African Americans in America is better than it's ever been in a country. Is that good news for anybody? Is that something to celebrate? Is that something to be thankful for, that jobs are, are being had? People need jobs. People need folk to hire them. People need people willing to hire people that don't look like them. So for the first time in America, the unemployment rate for African Americans is under 6.9%. It's at 6.8%. But you say, well, that's, you say that's good news. We need to pray for that 6.8%. Why is the overall employment rate 4%, but the African-American unemployment rate is 6 We know why. But don't you think we need to pray for that almost 7% of people in our country that can't get a job, that keep being told No. Some of y'all sitting there thinking, I'm white and I can't get a job. I understand. It, 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 it hits all sides. That's why we need to turn to God. That's why we need to pray for each other. That's why you need to come on Wednesday night when we have testimony time and you can let us know. Listen, we rejoice. Ha- haven't we heard some of y'all people come on Wednesday night? Haven't we heard in testimony time about people getting jobs, people getting better jobs, people getting houses? Have you heard that? We need to have these testimonies. We, we need to rejoice, but we need to be prayerful because America's in bad shape. Sin in the church is on a rise. Church leadership is more bankrupt morally than it ever has been. But that starts when the president works all the way down. Morality lower than ever. Spirituality lower than ever. Leadership needs a reprieve. We need help from God. You're sitting there thinking, I ain't never coming back. It's okay. I love you anyhow. We just started a new year, and we need God to bless 2018. We need favor with God, and we need favor with people to make 2018 our best year. But it can't just be about talk, because love requires what? That's why we got to come together. That's why we got to fast. That's why we got to weep. That's why we got to pray. Verse 13 of Joel 2 says, Don't tear your clothing in your grief. Instead, tear your hearts. See, in their custom, in their culture, if somebody did something that offended them, that made them sad, they would rip their clothes, throw dust on their head, let everybody know, I'm grieved, I'm, I'm in mourning, I'm, I'm, I'm in fasting, I'm, I'm upset, I, I need the Lord. He said, don't, don't tear your clothes. Instead, tear your hearts. Rip open who you are. Rip open who you are and see what spills out. That's why I tell you, you got to get in the Word let the Word get in you. Some of y'all, if you were torn open, the love of God would spill out. Some of y'all, if you were torn open, the Word of God would spill out. While some people, if you were torn open, <laughs> you know what's in you will come out of you. And we, we, need, we need to turn to God. And we need to tear our hearts open. He said, return to the Lord your God, comma. Why would he tell Christian people to return to him? Because they left. 
because they weren't following him. They, 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 he's talking to church people. We got to return to God, church. Say return. The word for in, in, in this 17th century English, a lot of people think the King James Version of the Bible was written in 1611. It was originally, but the one we read from is a 1679 version. So, you know, 400 years ago, they used that word for return to the Lord your God for he is gracious. That word for in that culture would be better understood in our culture. Anybody know what word would be better understood right there? Because. Y'all have been around. Return to God because he's gracious. You want a reason why you should return to God? There it is, because he's gracious and he's merciful. If that's not enough for you, there's another sentence coming at you. He's not easily angered. I thank God that he's not easily angered. What if God smacked you every time you did something wrong? Thank God that he's gracious, amen. Thank God that he's merciful, amen. Thank God that he's not easily angered, amen. If that's not enough, if that's not enough reason for you to return to God, then, then, then realize he's filled with kindness. Are you th- can you thank God that he's filled with kindness? I love this last phrase, though. He is eager not to punish you. This is a loving father that we have, Jehovah. He is eager not to punish you. Now, obviously, that's a strange way of saying something. We would more say it like, I ain't in no hurry to punish you. God's not eager to punish us. If you got a view of God sitting up there just waiting to bounce your head on the floor every time you mess up, you got the wrong view of God. Because if that was who God was, our heads would be on the floor. But God is eager not to. God is sitting there. The thing God is eager to do is to not punish you. God wants to not punish you. God does not want to punish you. God is eager to not punish you. But if you keep messing up, He has to punish sin. The normal routine for fast, they rip their clothes. He said, tear your hearts. We got to have tender hearts, soft hearts for God and the things of God. We got to return to the Lord. Remember that he's gracious, he's merciful. Thank him that he's not easy angered, he's kind. And he doesn't want to punish us. Verse 14, here it comes. Listen to this. Who knows? Question mark. Who knows? That, that's a weird sentence. I don't even know if that justifiably is a justifiable sentence, but it's in the Bible, so it, it's all good. Who knows? That means we don't know. Perhaps even yet he will give you a reprieve, comma. That's the part you need to focus on. Perhaps. Say perhaps. I mean, maybe he will, maybe he won't. Maybe he will, maybe he won't. Give you a reprieve. You sound like, well, that don't sound like good odds. He going to punish me for what I've done wrong? And perhaps he will give you a reprieve. Listen, if the judge is standing there and he says, uh, guidelines of your sentencing say that I can give you up to 75 years. But I might give you less. Any, anybody holding out hope for less? God, God says your sin has to be punished, but perhaps, maybe... He will give you a reprieve to cancel out the justifiable punishment that we deserve. He might give us a reprieve and send us a blessing instead of this terrible curse. 
Well, the curse is that we've sinned, so we deserve to be punished. But would you rather get what you have coming to you, or would you rather get a reprieve? There's a way to get a reprieve. Perhaps he will give you so much that you'll be able to offer grain and wine to the Lord as God your before, as to the Lord your God as before. He's saying maybe if you turn back to him with fasting and prayer and weeping and mourning, maybe he won't give you what you deserve. Maybe he'll give you what he wants you to have. Maybe he won't give you the whipping you deserve, but maybe, maybe he will give you more than you had or as much as you had before when times were good. I know for a certainty we deserve punishment. Our Father is well within his rights to spank our behinds when we mess up. I guarantee you, if I tell my kids, listen, because my kids know what when, when I say go upstairs, pull your pants down, lay across my bed. I ain't just trying to get you, you know, them to lay across my bed. Uh, I'm coming in there with a belt. And if I say, but you know what, maybe. Well, they're hanging on every word after that. Every word's important to them after that. But maybe, and if I set forth any but maybe right there, they'll take it. If I said, but maybe, da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da, and I, I won't come in there with a belt. They're hanging on every maybe I can throw at them. And we need to be hanging on perhaps. God might give us a reprieve instead of this terrible curse. Maybe, maybe God will turn things around in America. Maybe God will turn things around in your life. Maybe you could get a job. Maybe you could get a raise. Maybe you could buy a house. Maybe God will give you what he wants you to have and not what you deserve to have. Maybe God will give you supernatural increase. Maybe God would give you blessing above comprehension. Maybe God would, would give you so much that you could just be just filled up beyond imagination. Anybody think that's good news? He says after that, in verse 15, he tells the prophet, blow the trumpet. Blowing the trumpet was to sound an alarm, to let people know, to bring people to awareness. Come listen to what has to be said. He says, sound that alarm, blow that trumpet, and announce a time of fasting. Call the people together for a solemn meeting. So this morning to you, I am sounding an alarm. I am letting you know that judgment is imminent, that punishment is coming, that curse is on its way. But we can turn to God for a reprieve. And I'm calling us together for a time of solemn meeting. Every night, except Sundays at 7 o'clock. He said in verse 16, bring everyone, the elders, the children, the babies, the bridegroom from his quarters, the bride from her private room. He put, he calls out people that don't necessarily have to come to public meetings. The elders. They can always have an excuse because they're the elders. So they can, my, 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 you know, old people like, oh, yeah, my bunions is acting up. I ain't going. He said, tell them, get in here. The children, well, you know, we don't bring babies to church because they make, bring them. Uh, uh, the, the bridegroom from his quarters, they didn't even have to go to war in that generation. When you're first married, when you're newlywed, you were exempt from everything. He said, they ain't exempt from this. No exceptions. Say, no exceptions. He calls out everybody with no exception. In verse 17, he said, the priests who minister in the Lord's presence, will stand between the people and the altar, weeping. Let them say, spare your people, Lord. They belong to you, so don't let them become an object of mockery. Don't let their name become a proverb of unbelieving foreigners who say, where is the God of Israel? He must be helpless. See, here's what I don't want to see happen. As the priest of this church, 
I don't want to see Brother David turn away from God and get punished by God to where people can say, where that dude that used to sit up there and say amen, everything Pastor had to say, oh, he, he fell out like the rest of them. I don't want that. I don't want that for you. I don't want your name to become a mockery. Oh, they used to be Christian. They used to come to, do you know how many people used to come to church? Too many. So we're going to come together. We're going to have this fast. I'm going to stand down on this floor between the people and the altar, and I'm going to cry out to God to spare us as a church. I'm going to cry out to God for the things that I'm believing for a reprieve on him. In verse 18, he says, Then the Lord will pity his people and be indignant for the honor of his land. Then, when does then when's then? If you've been coming to Abundant Life, you know for sure when is then? Then is always after. Then comes after something that we do. You got to do something to get to your then moment. Then the Lord will pity his people and be indignant for the honor of his land. Let me give you these two definitions of these words I love the most. And it says, then the Lord will pity his people. See, pity, that's like, I ain't trying to have nobody pity me. I'm strong. I'm, I'm grown. I ain't talking about that kind of pity. I'm talking about a better kind of pity. Say pity. I want God to pity me, and I want God indignant. Well, that don't sound nice. Who's he to be indignant? Well, God, he can do what he wants to do. But check out, let's get understanding of the meaning. The Bible says what all you're getting, get understanding. Pity. Let's, let's see what these words mean. To have compassion. Then God will have compassion on you. Every one of us know that at some level we're slipping and tripping. Every one of us know at some level we're falling short. Every one of us know that we're sinners saved by grace. Every one of us knows that we're not perfect. So we all know that sin should be punished, but what if God have compassion on you? Is that good or bad? Well, I want God to have compassion on me. My kids, when they're laying on that bed, stripped down, butt pointing to the ceiling, they want, they want compassion at that point. They want compassion at that point. They, they want me to have pity on them. And, and listen, there's a way to get there. There, there. There's something that has to be done because then comes after. Compassion can only come after we do certain things. But not only does it say he'll pity us. What, what, what's, what's the next screen say, Dick? He'll be indignant for us. He will be indignant for us. Listen, 2018, I believe in God to be indignant for me. You know what indignant means? It means provoked under action. Huh? Let, me, let me tell you how it works. Let me tell you. Let me, let me show you how it works. Raise your hand, Deacon Dixon. Raise your hand, Marcus. Okay, y'all put your hands down. Deacon Dixon, Sonia Marcus, they've been in our church since Marcus was shorter than me. That ought to tell you something. <laughs> hey, they've been in our church since Marcus was shorter than his dad. <laughs> that, that, ought to tell you, that ought to tell you something because for those of y'all who don't know, his dad's shorter than me. So, let uh verifiable but they've been in our church for a long time serving God faithfully for a long time Christian people okay no no doubt in my mind about it all right but everybody can be provoked everybody can 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 be be provoked and everybody can get indignant can be provoked into action if you don't believe see Marcus strong athlete Figures he can handle his own business. But if one of you grown men 
after this church service, just want to walk up and start slapping him in his face in front of his father and snatch him and put your hands on him, you're going to provoke Deacon Dixon to turn back into Cedric. He's going to get indignant for his son. And you're going to provoke him into action. Let me tell you that. You don't want that. You don't want that. But you know who does want that? Marcus. He thinks he don't because he's like, I can handle it. But if he's got somebody on top of him smacking him around, he wants his father to be provoked into action. I'm going to tell you something. My father is Jehovah. If you're a Christian, your father is Jehovah. These people messing with you in front of your father? (laughs) Now, see, if he knows you need your butt whooped, he might let it go. But if you get to that place of then where you've come with fasting, where you come with weeping, where you turned your heart back to the Father, where you're crying out to the Father, where you're in your then moment. See, we need to get into our then moment where our Father becomes indignant against our enemies and he begins to be provoked into action to step up and step in. Talk about me, talk about God, talk about the work of the ministry, become an enemy to the people of God. You're going to provoke daddy to step up and step in. You better realize if you're messing with a child of God, they have a father in heaven that you can't mess with. And if they get into their then moment, put verse 18 back on the screen, Dick. If they get into their then moment, verse 18, if they get into that then moment, they're going to have compassion. God's going to have compassion on his people, and he's going to be indignant for his honor. You know what that means? That's the father says, you can't do that to my son. This is my stuff you're messing with right now. You, be, you go do what you want to do over there, but you better get your hands off my son. See, when you get into your then moment, you provoke your father into action against those who oppose you. Verse 19 says, he will reply, look, I'm sending you grain and wine and olive oil enough to satisfy your needs. You will no longer be an object of mockery among the surrounding nations. Some of y'all have been serving God for a long time. Some of y'all have been trying to get what God has for you for a long time, but you never got to your then moment because you never spent 21 days coming to him with fasting. You never tore your heart wide open to God and said, I'm coming, God. I'm turning to you with everything. You never got into your then moment where God says, look, I'm going to go ahead and send you grain, wine, and olive oil. That represents sustenance, pleasure, and healing. Grain, wine, and olive oil. That's what you need to sustain you, to pleasure you, and to heal you. God says when you get to your then moment, I am going to send enough to satisfy your needs, and you will no longer be a mockery. People look at Christians and they downplay us. They look at Christians and they think we're under their feet. They look at Christians like we're little and weak and meek and and humble. But what they need to realize is we serve the most all-powerful God that there is. We serve a father who when we get to our then moment, if he ever decides to step up and step in, everything is going to change. 
We need to get to our then moment. We need to get to this place. Verse 20, he said, I'll remove these armies from the north and send them far away. You get to your then moment, God's going to smack your armies around. He said, I will drive them back into the parched wastelands where they will die. Those in the rear will go to the Dead Sea. Those at the front will go into the Mediterranean. The stench of their rotten bodies will rise over the land. Surely the Lord has done great things. Now, see, some of y'all, y'all, some of y'all ain't as aggressive as me, but, oh, I love this verse so much. Some of y'all, y'all more passive than me. I'm, mm, mm, no, I'm militant. I've been in the military all my life, born into the military, raised up in the military, served in the military, keeping a military mindset. And when folk become my enemy and God steps up, God, God says, I'm going to smack them around so bad that the stench of their rotten body. And I'm like, do that, God. I want to smell it. I want to smell their rotten bodies just stinking everywhere. He won't do that for me until I get to my then moment. When I, when I, when I hide in the shadow of his wing. When I get up into the cleft of the rock, when, you, when I get so into God, you got to go through God to get to me. If you try to go through God, he's going to kill you and the stink of your body's going to rise up all over the nation and people are going to know, shouldn't have messed with God. And the people in their then moment are going to say, the Lord has done great things. He killed them all. And one day the enemies of our God will be laid to waste. See, there's a difference between your enemy and the enemy of our God. There's a difference between my enemy and the enemy of our God. I might have made enemies on, on my stupidity. But if they come as enemies of God, if they come in my then moment where I'm hiding in God, then this is their destiny. To die and stink. Verse 21, he said, don't be afraid, my people. <laughs> They're like, oh, man, this God is vicious, man. He want to kill them all and make the stink of their bodies rise up. But he says, don't be afraid who? If you're in God, you have nothing to fear. Don't be afraid, my people. Be glad now and rejoice because the Lord has done great things. You might be wondering in your pacifistic mind, you might be wondering in your sensitive mind, well, how is it great for people to be laid off dead, the stink of their body being rise up? That ain't the thing to focus on. That's not what he's talking about. When your father, when you get fall so in love with your father that you're standing side by side. See, when you, when you get into that J.J. moment, how many of y'all remember J.J.? Kid Dynamite, how many of y'all remember? Hey, I grew up loving good times. I, uh, uh, I've been on that lean my whole life. I don't know why. It, I can't help it. But I've been, I, uh, that's funny to me. Some of y'all didn't get it. But I grew up loving good times. And to me, James Amos was the picture of a real man. The first real man I ever saw. The manliest man, man. The rawest, rough. You want, hey, when J James had that spear shaped nose. And when it turned up, it's, it's too late. J.J., his son, the biggest coward in the world, but when dad was in him, 
he'd be all jumping up and down, and 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 you you lucky, oh, hold me, you lucky to hold me back, uh, hey, cause he knew if I can just get behind my father, nobody can beat James Amos. You need to understand if your father is God, if you get into your then moment, God's gonna do great things. He's going to give you your sustenance. He's going to give you your pleasure. He's going to give you your healing. He's going to give you the things that you need. You don't have to be afraid. Just because he can lay out your enemies and kill them all to where the stink of their bodies are everywhere, you don't have to worry about what he'll do to you. Why? Because you're his people. We serve a God. The Bible says his name is man of war. We serve a God who is serious about protecting his own honor. We need to get to the place where we're in his honor. We need to get to the place where we're in his shadow. We need to get to the place where we can have God rise up for us and do great things. I'm going to leave the rest of this alone. Realize that Jesus said, when you fast. When Jesus was on this earth teaching his disciples, he told them, when you fast, not if you fast. Fasting is expected of the Christian. And I'm going to be going into a time of fasting starting Wednesday. Fasting doesn't have to be about food. I'm going to make part of my fast about food. I eat out every day. That's no joke. We don't cook in my house. We eat out every day. And I eat red meat every day. Hamburger, steak, some kind of way. Uh, Empanadas with red, red meat. Every day. Jesus expected Christians to fast. And what is fasting? Is denying yourself something that you enjoy. Setting it aside so you can give it a focus more on God. So see, part of my fast for 21 days, I'm not going to eat red meat. So every time I go to order, I can't get the brisket when I go out. I can't get to slice beef at Sonny's for 21 days. I can't get to Whopper at Burger King. What I look like eating a veggie burger. I'm just, I can't eat a veggie burger. But I'm not going to eat red meat for 21 days. Why? Because I eat a lot of red meat. And every time I go to order something, I have red meat in my mind. What's that going to do? That's going to remind me to pray more. Some of y'all need to fast against TV, video games. Some of y'all need to fast. It, it don't have to be food. It's just denying yourself something that you normally do. But it's not about the denial. It's about the addition. I can't just not eat red meat for 21 days and think God's going to honor me and hide me and kill all my enemies and put me in my then moment. I got to turn to him. It's not about the denial of red meat. I deny my flesh red meat to remind me I'm supposed to be concentrating on God more. What could you deny yourself of for 21 days that would cause your mind? Listen, some of y'all, I, I, I know people who have denied coffee. You sure be thinking about God then. You'd be like, I could get my coffee. Oh, mmm, ha, whoa, Jesus. I don't know what you could do away with. I've seen people deny staying up past midnight. I think that's a good thing. Some of y'all lay awake tossing and turning all night long, internet surfing. Get some rest. Spend that time in prayer. 
It's not about what you deny. It's about what you add. I'm going to deny red meat, but I'm going to add more prayer. Whatever you deny, I want you to add more prayer. I'm going to deny red meat, but I'm going to add more holiness. Because I'm going to turn to God, and I'm going to tear my heart open, and I'm going to say, I need thee every hour. God, bring me my grain. Bring me my wine. Bring me my oil. I need you to live on. I need you for my pleasure, and I need you for my healing. I'm not talking about my neck. I don't need God. People say, when God going to heal pastor's back and heal pastor's neck? This stuff is temporary. This stuff don't mean much in the world. I need God to heal me on the inside. I need God to heal my mind. I need God to heal my spirit. I need God to heal the brokenness that's in me on the inside. All the rest of this stuff's going to get taken care of one day. One day it's not going to be like this. I, I, I might die with a neck brace on and a bad back, but the moment I close my eyes on this side, I'm going to open my eyes up in perfect healing in the presence of the Lord. But right now I want God to bring me my grain. He knows my needs. I want God to bring me my wine. You're like, well, you can get wine up at the liquor store I want holy wine I want something that I can put on the inside of me that gives me joy not just a head buzz I need God to bring me my oil I need him just to soothe everything on the inside of me and bring internal healing in my life he said this might happen if you just turn to him I want to invite you to turn to him you don't have to wait till Wednesday. If you're not following God right now, I want to invite you to turn to Him. If, if your heart is not open to Him right now, I want to invite you to tear your heart open to God. Come out and pray with us tonight at 6 o'clock. Wednesday night, I want you to be here. We're going to start 21 days of fasting. But remember, if you decide to fast, don't make it about what you're not doing. So you decide to fast against caffeine, you're going to be thinking about that every five minutes when your head's hurting because you didn't have no caffeine. When you feel tired and you ain't had no caffeine. But you know what? If you don't make it about what you're denying, you make it about what you're adding. And every time you remember you ain't had coffee today, you just start praying. If you turn off TV and you want to check on TV and you remember, no, I'm not doing that right now. I'm going to take a season to focus more on God. Make it more about what you add than what you subtract. you got to subtract something to get your mind open. you got to subtract something to get, get, get your awareness open. But then it's about turning to God, ripping your heart open, falling before God. Come with fasting. Come with weeping. Come with mourning. Some of you won't even come once, and I don't know why. But I want to say this, as the pastor of this church, I need you to come and pray with us. If your schedule won't allow you to come and pray with us, please pray for us in your prayer closet. Because we need prayer. See, I believe this every year, and some years go good and some years go bad. But I believe this every year that God wants to bless us. Because he's eager to not punish us. I believe every year that this could be a year of God doing great things we got to get to our then moment we got to get to the place where we can say we did what he asked of us and then 
great things happen. I want you to believe God that he can do great things in your life. But it's not going to happen until you do what he requires you to do. Because love requires what? Pray with me. God, thank you for action. Thank you for showing your love to us by sending your son to the cross of Calvary while we were yet sinners. Action. You died for us on the cross. Your love provoked you into action. God, I pray that you would give us a heart to love you, a real love, a love that that brings forth action. You died for us. God, I pray that you would give us a heart to live for you. You showed your love to us in, in, in action. God, I pray that you would give us strength to show our love to you in action. Lord, I pray that we would turn to you as a church. God, I pray that we would do it now. Lord, I pray that you would help us to love you, not just in our mouths, but with our actions. Lord, we need you. Our country needs you. God, it's easy to say other people need you. Lord, it's easy to say the president needs you. But I need you. I need you, God, to be my mind regulator. I need you to fix every broken piece in me so that I can honor you in the land of the living. God, you've done great things, Lord, but we're believing for more. And we're believing for increase. Because this is what you promised us. And God, I ask you, Lord, to be provoked into action for your people. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at aocfnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to alcfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church. Loving God, loving people.